invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. We're going to spend uh, approximately, Lord willing, 13 weeks in Romans 11 uh, at some point this year, maybe all in a row, maybe not. Um, But uh, if God be gracious to us, we will get through it in that amount of time. Uh, And so it's my desire, uh, not that we just get through this chapter this year and only have gained some head knowledge only have learned some things in our mind, or worse yet, to just put in time and gain nothing. I want us, individually, each to be able to say, at the end of the day, that we have learned God. And not not just in our mind, but we have learned God and what it means to, to know God better, so that each day, each one of us can end our lives like the end of this chapter. which ends with a great, resounding song of praise, a doxology. And I want that to be for you and for me, that that you daily would resound and and overflow with a heartfelt time of genuine praise to God and worship of Him. That's what I pray and desire as we come through this chapter, as we go through every chapter of the Bible I'm going to read Romans chapter 11 in its entirety, so make sure you have a Bible open before you so that you can follow along. Um, I'm going to read, actually, from the ESV version, not from the Pew Bible version, uh, so you pay careful attention if my words are different. This is God's Word, Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if it is by grace, then it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered by, as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, 
Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you say, well, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they did not, do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, sorry, if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he may be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Like I said, my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that each day we may resound with this sort of worship that he ends the chapter with. A a bubbling up out of him where he just explodes in a praise to God. From meditating on God's word and from growing closer with God personally, as if in a moment it just flows out. It just comes. Not rehearsed, not written down, not someone else's words, but worship. If I were to ask you in this moment, who here has this kind of experience daily, raise your hand, your brain would probably be telling you, avoid eye contact. Right? Don't look, he might not ask you to raise your hands if you experience this kind of worship in your heart every day. Because each of us, myself included, would go, no, that, that's not me. I, I don't experience that where I am so welled up to just praise God verbally, vocally, in this sort of manner of just an outflow of what God is to me. We must ask, though, how does a person get to this place? How did Paul get to this place? How does anyone get there to be able to just praise God spontaneously from their heart, not just with their lips, with rehearsed words? How can I become a follower of Jesus who worships God from my heart? not just my lips. And how can I be a a follower of Jesus who worships God on Monday, not just on Sunday? 
And how can I be a follower of Jesus who worships God as I read the scriptures, not just when I sing? And I worship God when I pray and when I listen to sermons. How can I be a Christian who worships God at all times with a heart that is full of awe and wonder as Paul had here? How does my walk with God begin to look like this? Well, it's a lot like riding a bike. In, in that, you must, by faith, take your feet up off the ground and go somewhere. You must take your feet and start moving. What happens if you just take your feet up off the ground on a bike? You fall over. If you just take your feet up, you say, I just have faith. That's enough. Is it enough for, the, for you to get going and not fall over? Never. It never is. And so then, in the same sort of way, this sort of walk with God, this journey with God in, in not, is not just a, okay, I've entered by faith in Jesus. I, I've realized my sinfulness. I've realized that I can't do this and I can't make my way to God. I see the cross of Christ and I must trust it. I must trust Jesus to forgive me. Okay, by faith I trust in Jesus. Good enough, right? Yes, you're saved. But what's your journey going to look like? What's, you're going to fall over repeatedly. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get to a place where you will just spontaneously worship God out of the depth of your heart. You haven't moved. There's no movement. But you begin pedaling on a bike. Do you have to understand the physics of a bicycle to, to move? No. A kid can ride a bike. They don't know the physics. Do you have to understand gear ratio in order for the bike to actually get you somewhere? No. You've got to do a few simple things. By faith, lift up your feet. Hold on to the handlebars, pedal. Oh, yeah, and don't look back. You look backwards, you're going to fall down. <laughs> Kids always do that, right? You see a kid like, look at how cool I am. Boom. That's what happens with us sometimes as Christians. We think, okay, I got these few simple things. Oh, look at back at my life, and I fall over. But it's, it's very much the same way. How do we get somewhere with God? Well, it's like riding a bike. You buy faith, trust in Jesus, and then Use the simple things that he has given you. You don't have to understand the complexity of everything in order to get somewhere with God. You just, by faith, use the simple things he's given you. How, and so, by faith we trust in Jesus. We don't look back. And we take simple steps forward. We must be moving. If you're not moving, you're falling over. I fear too many Christians, and maybe too many of us, get on a bike, we lift up our feet, and we think that's good enough. We think, I've trusted in Jesus. And then we expect to be whisked away to some magical place with God, to be a super Christian tomorrow. And all we've done is lift up our feet. It's interesting. We're not using the means of grace that God has given us. We expect, it's interesting because I was reading this week, I forget who, but they said, have you ever met a Christian where you think that is a respectable, godly person, they are so mature in their faith? Have you ever met a person like that who neglects daily Bible reading and prayer? Never. You will never meet a mature Christian who doesn't read the Bible. And so that's one of the simple steps that God gives you. It's a simple mechanism. You don't need to understand it all. You don't need to have all the, the grammar down. You, you just need to, to do it. Just, just read it. Do you have to understand how prayer works? And, and, and do you always have to understand how God's going to answer the prayer? No, you don't have to understand that mechanism. You just pray. You just trust God. There's simple mechanisms that we use for, that God gives us for our growth and ultimately for his glory. Where are we going with this? Do you remember what Jesus said is the greatest commandment of all? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We normally approach this by saying, how? How do I love God with all of my heart? Or how do I love God with all of my mind? Or how do I love God with all of my strength? When, before starting with the question how, we should start with the question who. Who is this God? When often we try to skip right over that, we think, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I know God is, is kind, and, and that's about all I need to know about God. God is love, right? And that's all he is, right? We try to live on that basis alone. And so if we want to love God with all of our heart and all of our being, we must fundamentally ask, well, who is this God? That's the first step in terms of our growth. Who is this? If I told you to love Bill with all your hearts, in such a way that you sacrifice everything for him, that you would give him a blank check, not only with your money, but with your time, with everything. If I told you love Bill in that way, you say, who is this Bill? Who is he? Why is he worth me giving a blank check to? What does he need? Who is he? What is he like? Is he lovable? Is he going to love me back? Like You're going to ask questions about this person I'm telling you to love in such a way. We want to know who we are so that we might love them better. right? Yeah, you're told to love your neighbor. You're told to love your enemy. So you don't need to always know everything about them to, to love them. But to love a person well, you need to know them. And the, the better you know them, the more you will love them well. In the same way, then we must ask, who is this God that I'm supposed to love? And God is glad to tell us. I'm so glad that he has not completely hid himself. But instead, he revealed himself, graciously giving us a record of what he is like, what he has done in his word. Who is he? So that we might worship him. And it's not only in obvious passages where God says, I, the Lord, am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You say, okay, that's who God is. On every single page. Every single page is passages like Romans 11 and Ezekiel 12 and Revelation 18 and Matthew chapter 1, even in the genealogy, where you can say, who is this God and what is he like? So that I might worship him. It's when we neglect that, when we neglect to know who God is, that we just get on the bike and we're not going anywhere. We're not moving forward. We're not going to get a place where Paul got at the end of this really difficult chapter where he just ends in worship. We're not going to get there if we don't want to know who this God is. If we don't use the means God has given us, that means every chapter of this Bible, every sentence of this Bible is telling us something about who God is, what he's like, and how he's operated. So as a means of an introduction to Romans 11 just today, I want us to firstly just glean from it the things about God that we can worship him for. Because jumping into Romans 11 can be tricky, and after reading it this morning... Uh, you can understand, and you've become very aware, it's a difficult chapter that has stirred up many disagreements throughout church history. It's, it's difficult. It's meaty. It's hard to comprehend. What does he mean by that word and that statement? Does it really mean that? And so it's a difficult passage that, that people just want to approach and have a, a, a right answer to. They want to know what side of the controversy you fall on. What side of the disagreement should we understand? That's how most people approach Romans 11. Instead of approaching Romans 11 by saying, how can this chapter lead me to worship God better? How can this fuel my worship so that I might live for him better tomorrow? Those are the most important questions we ought to ask when we approach our Bible. Not just, what can I know? 
Because as you understand with riding a bike, knowing about gear ratio doesn't make you a better bike rider. It doesn't mean you'll get to point A to B any differently. You're both on a bike. And so in the same way, we don't need to know the ins and the outs of the chapter up front. And, and we might, if you're like me, you might just want to know them all. You might want to know what does he mean by that word and why. And it's okay to study that way. But if that's the only way we approach the scripture is just to gain some head knowledge, we're in trouble. And we're not going to end in a, in a resounding, bubbling up worship within us. Paul, at the end of this chapter, in verse 33 to 36, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How, how does he know they're unsearchable? How does he know they're deep? Did he just ignore them? To, or, or do you think he's trying to discover them? And he discovers the more he digs and the more he tries to understand God, the more he realizes God is so deep in his riches. God is so deep in his wisdom. Although I might not understand the way he has operated through this chapter, God is so wise and I'm discovering that more and more. Oh, the depth of his riches and his wisdom and his knowledge. How unsearchable are his judgments. He's made decisions that I might not agree with. His decisions are unsearchable. I can't scrutinize them. And how inscrutable are his ways? You cannot accuse God of wrongdoing in where he has operated. For who has known the mind of the Lord? That you might be his counselor. You might tell God, I think you should have done this a little bit differently. Don't we try that quite often? Probably on a weekly basis, you might not admit that. Um, but I know I do as I hear my own prayers, I go, well, I'm, I'm trying to be God's counselor here. When I read my own journal, I go, what? Why am I trying to direct God? So it says, have you known the mind of the Lord to be his counselor? So obviously Paul, he's saying, I'm searching. I'm trying to grasp his mind, but he admits I can't be his counselor. Or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? Often we think God owes us something too. Paul gets to this part of his worship and he says, I, don't, I got nothing. And then he resounds at the end by saying, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This, and it may be t- even titled in your Bibles, is called the doxology. The song we sang right before the sermon is called the doxology. This is called the doxology. A doxology is taken from two Greek words, doxa, meaning splendor or glory or majesty, and logos, which is word or speaking. So dox, logos, doxology means glory speaking. You're speaking of the grandeur of God, and we sing doxologies. We sing of the glory and the grandeur and the splendor and the majesty of God. We speak it. And that's what this is. Paul's prayer that he's just bubbled up is a doxology. It's an overflowing praise to God, bringing glory to him in all that he is saying. But how does he get there? He gets there by knowing God well. By knowing God well. He uses the simple things that God has given him, who God is, how he's revealed himself, how he's worked in history, and simple words on a page. We can say, who is God? Who is this God of Romans chapter 11 that I might praise Him? I hope you're daily reading your Bible. And if you are, that you might approach the chapter like that. As you come to a new chapter, who is this God that I might praise Him? Rather than, where is the checkbox that I can say I'm done? 
Who is this God that I might praise him? If you were a part of uh, small groups in 2016, we did a, uh, a study through prayer and the uh, Acts model of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And if you were there, you were likely challenged as I was, and I continue to be challenged on the A of prayer, adoration. I challenged you if you were there in our small group that when we were spending time in prayer, when we were intentionally adoring God, Leave yourself out. Leave horizontal things out. Just look at who God is and praise Him for it. And even the way we are so trained to pray, we want to switch it into a, I thank you for this, something you've given to me or done for me, rather than, God, you are whatever. God, I worship you because you are whatever. Right? We have such a difficult time doing that because, and I realize it daily in my own life, as I daily in every prayer try to adore God before I go into the rest, I realize I don't know God well. I don't know Him well enough to just praise Him. It's devastating. If you were to think, even in your moment, right now, God, I worship you because you are. How do you fill in that blank? And how do you fill in that blank with more than one thing? Because don't you think that the scripture says that he, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God is there? Don't you think that he's unsearchable? But yet, if you're anything like me, you're, you're just limited. You've got like these five things you adore God for, and that's it. It's devastating. And it just means that I haven't taken time to approach every chapter of the Bible that says, what is there about God that I can praise him for in this chapter? We're, we're just not there. But we ought to be. If we want to become like Paul, if we want to use the simple things that God has given us, he's given us words on a page, divinely inspired to speak to us, to fuel our worship. So then, even from Romans 11, what do we learn? I want you to keep your eyes closely on Romans 11. I'm going to go through Romans 11 with you and show you what God tells you about himself so that you might have 19 things from this chapter to praise him for without saying, God, I praise you for this because you've done this for me. You don't need to include yourself. You don't need to think horizontally. God alone is these things. There's 19 things in Romans 11. Just as a means of introduction to this chapter, I want us to not get into the thick of it and forget the purpose of why we approach every chapter. Yes, we want to understand, but we also want to worship God for who he is. Here are 19 things that God reveals about himself in this chapter for us. In verses 1 and 2, tells us that God is faithful. He asks the question, has God rejected his people? And he answers, by no means. Verse 2 says, God has not rejected his people. So then when you say, God, I adore you, I adore you for being faithful. You are a faithful God. That's what you are. That's who you are. That's part of your character. God, you are faithful. Verse 4 tells us that he is a God who speaks. He's a God who communicates with his people. He is a God who is not distant, who has not left you to your own accord, but he is a God who interacts. He's a God who cares. Verse 4 also tells us he is the keeper of souls. God, you're a keeper. I adore you for that. I worship you for keeping souls. 
It's amazing the example given, right? So Elijah's worried that he's the only one left. And God says, no, I have kept for myself. God has done it. God has kept these people. That just tells you something about who God is. He's a keeper of souls. Verses 4 and 5 tells us, it shows us that God is gracious. He's so gracious. He says, they've chosen by grace, this, this remnant, these people that he's kept, it's by his grace. So his, his favor, his unmerited favor, they've not earned it, they've not deserved it, but that's flowing out of God's character, that he is a gracious God. Verses 7 to 10 tells us that God's plan is perfect, even when we don't see it. So you can praise him for his perfection in his planning. Verses 11 to 16 show us that God is kind to the outcast. Those who were cut off, God is kind to them. And so we just see the character of God there. He is kind. It also tells us that in verse 22. In general, God's kindness is there. It's repeated. God is kind. Verse 22 also tells us God is severe. Do you worship him for his severity? God is severe. Verse 23 tells us God is powerful. Worship him for his power. Verse 26 tells us God is the deliverer. That's who he is. That's what he is. Do you worship him for it? Verse 27 tells us and shows us that God makes covenants and he keeps covenants. It speaks of his character. It's not just about what he does, but a God who is a keeper of covenants. Verse 30 to 32 shows us again that God is merciful. He's merciful. There's these disobedient people. But God, because of who he is, has shown them Mercy, even in their disobedience. Mercy. Verse 33 tells us that God is rich. He has riches. And they're deep, so deep that you can't discover the bottom of them. He's so rich in who he is and what he does. He's also so wise, verse 33 tells us, that cannot be discovered the end of his wisdom. That's what I love also about when you, and that's a great thing to know about God because in James 1 5, you know, when it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives abundantly to all without reproach. And so when you know and you can begin to worship God for his infinite wisdom, the wisdom that you cannot find the depth to, and you begin to worship him for his wisdom. And then James 1 5 tells you, says, If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives his wisdom. Man, that even, even in your asking God for wisdom, you, you end up praising him for his wisdom because it's not as though it's limited or it's going to run out or he's going to hold it back. But scripture tells us, do, do you know this wise God? Praise him for being wise. And then scripture elsewhere tells us, this wise God you know, you can also ask him for wisdom. And, and it tells us about this God of mercy, that you can ask him for mercy. It tells us about this keeper of souls and says, you can trust him. And so you understand that the things you learn about God actually change the way you live for God. You don't live for God walking on eggshells anymore. You know, wow, I've discovered, even in this simple chapter, God is merciful. That he is faithful. That he is gracious. That he is kind to outcasts. That he is kind to those who reject him. 
That he's kind of the disobedient. So when I'm disobedient, I understand, even from this chapter, God is kind. And he's gracious. He's merciful. I need to know that about God. And so, carrying on, God is uh, perfect in his judgment. So then when my life has a, a turn that I might not have expected, that I can trust God with it. That he judged this to be a good decision. He judged this to be the right way. So it says... He is perfect in judgment, verse 33 tells us. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable his ways. You cannot uh, question the way of God. And so, verse 33 tells us that he is perfect in all of his ways. And so you can just praise him for that. Praise him that he doesn't have to make a wrong decision. You ever think about that? You ever think specifically about decision making and God? It's always perfect. If that could only be us, right? And so it begins to show you your humanity. You go, oh man, I've made so many poor decisions. God has never once, never once. His decisions, his ways are inscrutable. So just praise him for that. For his perfection in his decisions, in his leadership, in his will, in his, in his providence, in the way he works and ordains things in the world, it's inscrutable. Praise him for that. And, and the more you do, the more you begin to trust him in that. Verse 34 tells us that this is a God who needs no counsel. Praise him. He, he doesn't need opinions. He doesn't have to sit around and convene with his counsel of really smart people. He doesn't have to start collecting facts. He needs no one to tell him. God needs no counsel. Praise him for it. Verse 35 tells us God is never indebted. He's never indebted. He doesn't owe anyone anything. Praise Him for that. And verse 36 shows us that He's the Creator. Something to praise Him for. Praise Him. What I wanted us to see is that this chapter is not just about theories, it's not just about head knowledge. But every chapter of the Bible, you can learn something of God. And so if we want to talk about how do I get to a point in my Christian life where I can be like Paul, who just bubbled up with praise at the end here? How can I get to that point where, where Paul, he's literally uh, so filled with wonder at who God is, he just sings of it. How can you and I get there? Well, Do you take time to ask, who is this God? Who is he? What has his word told me about who he is? And sometimes it's through what God has done that you learn something about him, a character, right? It's the same thing with you and I. You know, if you see a person who repeatedly helps the homeless, you can tell that they are kind. That's who they are. That's what they are. And you can tell it by what they've done. So that's often, you'll come to a chapter in the Bible and say, well, it doesn't explicitly tell me that God is merciful. How do I know it? Does there something there that shows me God is merciful? Is there something there that shows me God is a judge? Right? So this is how we begin to look at the Bible, day after day after day. And it's only there, when you begin to know God better, that the Scripture and your Christian life becomes more satisfying. Because we're not satisfied in knowledge, we're satisfied in knowing God. And this is how we begin to know God. Who is this God? That I might know Him, and that I might worship Him, and adore Him. And we want to end every day, every time in Scripture... We want our hearts to truly sing this song, and I, I pray it for you, I pray it for me, that verse 36 would resound 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. That you believe it. Through him, through Christ are all things. And to him, everything was made to reflect him, to give him glory. To him be the glory, not just for a moment. To him be the glory, not just in this moment, not just when things are good. All things, to him be the glory forever. Forever. To him be praise and splendor and majesty and adoration. To him we ought to adore forever. How do we get there? We get there by knowing God. By faith we trust in Jesus. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit we take the little things that he's given us and we grab hold and we, t- we start moving forward. We-, we move forward. Without full understanding, without full comprehension, we just read and we can ask simple questions. Who is this God? I don't understand Ezekiel 32. Who is this God? I don't understand lamentations or numbers. Why am I even reading numbers? You're reading numbers to understand who God is that you might worship him better. That's the point of reading the Bible. And so if you want to be a mature Christian, you want to be growing as a Christian, as I do, we ought to more often ask, who is this God that I might worship him? That's my prayer for you this year. And as we go through Romans 11, let's pray to that end. Oh God, we want to grow, not just for the sake of us feeling good, not just for the sake of our guilt being less than it was yesterday, or our shame, not just for the sake of a sense of pride in us that we know we're good Christians that can actually um, stand up and be an example to others, that we might fulfill our commission to disciple others. God, uh, we don't just want to grow for that purpose. Uh, Mainly, we want to grow... Uh, because we know it glorifies you, that uh, people see the Holy Spirit at work in us, growing us and bearing much fruit, and they may praise you for it. Your word says that when we do um, the good deeds, that they may see the Father and, and give glory to Him. And so we desire that for our lives. So help us with God. And forgive us when we have approached Scripture just to grow in head knowledge or just to check a box. God, we don't want to do that this year. We don't want to do that ever. So we need your help by the Holy Spirit's power to um, see in the Scripture. That you may open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law, Psalm 119 says. God, we want that to be true of each one of us as we approach your word daily. God, we want to know you. We want to praise you as you deserve. Would you help us in this endeavor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.